Welcome back, true crime lovers. So I have a true crime announcement this week. I have officially launched my Patreon account. This is where you can access exclusive content. You can be the first to hear the episodes, or you can just simply support my business. I am a lover of true crimes, and I love the stories that I tell um, because I want to get the word out there, especially on the unsolved ones. Um, because I'm a firm believer that if the word is out there, we can get some things rolling on it. And that's the best way to solve these crimes. So, if you want to check me out on Patreon, it is Crime Confidential. Or you can go to my Instagram at Crime Confidential and I will post it there. But thank you for all of your support. This week's case is one of the most controversial for me. Um, it is one that I simply do not agree with the findings on. Um, which is a reason why I wanted to share it. But another reason I wanted to share it is because it has most recently been in the news. Um, and this year there was just a ruling on it that may change things around. So I wanted to get the case of Adnan Syed and the murder of Heyman Lee out to you guys. So here we go. This case takes us back to 1998. Heyman Lee is your normal 18-year-old girl attending high school, going out with boys, and just trying to be a normal teenager. Lee began dating Adnan Syed. The two started dating in March of 1998. They attended prom together in April. And although their relationship was kept a secret due to families being conservative and strict, they had secret phone calls and even found time to snack off to dates. The feelings between the two were intense. Lee kept a journal of her life, and she wrote in that that she might just love Syed. Syed also wrote her a poem stating that he cherishes the love that he has found. In October of 1998, Syed's parents caught the two lovebirds and crashed a homecoming dance that they attended together. Around this time, they were unhappy with the secret relationship and unhappy with Lee dating. Around this time, Lee also began working at a local lens crafters and met an older, name, older man named Don, who she secretly became attracted to. After the homecoming event, it really took a toll on Lee and Syed's relationship. Lee was feeling very overwhelmed and upset during the next few months, and Syed and Lee's relationship obviously suffered from those feelings. The two broke up in December of 1998. However, according to Lee's diary entries, they, the two weren't completely over, and like most teenagers, they got back together at least once, sending loving messages to each other. However, around Christmas break, the break seemed to become more permanent. During this time, Lee also started seeing the man from her work, Dawn. They went out on their first date on January 1st, 1999 to pick up a younger cousin from daycare at 3.30 p.m. However, she never arrived. Lee's family quickly called the police when they found out. Multiple friends recall talking to her at school as late as 2.25 p.m., but no one at her job, including Dawn, reported seeing her that day. Over the first few weeks of Lee's, mis Lee's disappearance, there were only minor developments in the case. However, on February 9, 1999, a concrete worker, Alonzo Sellers, found Lee's partially buried body in Lincoln Park, less than a mile away from her high school. 
Mr. Sellers claimed he was drinking a beer while driving and needed to go to the bathroom. So he pulled over and went into the woods so no one could see him. When he looked down, he spotted her hair first, and then when he really focused in, he saw that it was a body. He later became a suspect because he walked 127 feet just to find a place to, seem the ba- to use the bathroom, which seemed a little suspicious to authorities. Sellers had a previous record for streaking and indecent exposure. Lee's cause of death was determined to be manual strangulation. On February 12, 1999, police received an anonymous phone call that suggested that they should look into Lee's ex-boyfriend, Adnan Syed. During the course of the investigation, Baltimore police obtained cell phone records from Syed. There were several phone calls between Syed and another classmate named Jennifer. When police first interviewed Jennifer, she denied knowing anything about the case. A second interview was conducted on February 27th, where Jennifer admitted that her friend, Jay Wilds, had told her that Syed was the one that killed Lee. Wilds also told her that he helped dispose of evidence. Jay Wilds becomes a major factor into this story. He is actually one of the reasons that um, police initially look into Syed as a main suspect. So you're going to be hearing his name a lot. On February 28, 1999, police officially questioned Jay Wilds about the events. Wilds claimed that Syed had pressured him into helping bury Lee's body and dispose of evidence. He claimed Syed then threatened to expose Wilds' weeds business and he didn't want to get in trouble. After talking to Wilds, police verified aspects of the tale using AT&T phone records from Syed's phone. Wilds was also able to show police where Lee's car was. This was considered enough evidence to prosecute Syed, who was later arrested on February 28th. On March 1st, 1999, after hearing of Syed's arrest, another classmate named McLean wrote a letter to Syed while he was in jail and details speaking with him in the library on January 13th. This would become an important piece of evidence because it would dispute the original timeline that Wilds gave. On December 15, 1999, Syed's trial began, and it quickly ended in a mistrial. In January of 2000, a second trial began. February 25, 2000, following a six-week trial and two-hour jury deliberation, Syed is found guilty of Heyman Lee's murder. He remained calm the entire time, and when the handcuffs put on him, he said, I'll be all right. I have faith in the Lord. I know I didn't kill her. The Lord knows I didn't kill her. On March 25th of 2000, McLean, the same student that detailed talking to Syed in the library, wrote an affidavit after Syed was convicted, detailing seeing Syed in the library that afternoon. On June 6th of 2000, Syed was scheduled to be sentenced. Syed was scheduled to be sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. Saez, at the time, was represented by attorney Christina Gutierrez, who was later disbarred. Syed maintained that he was at the school at the time of the murder took place, and Gutierrez ignored the report from McLean in the letter. Therefore, Syed's story couldn't be confirmed. 
The biggest evidence that helped convict Syed was Wilde's testimony in the cell phone tower pings. Syed filed an appeal, and in March of 2003, the appeal was denied. We would not have anything else come about in this case until 2013. In December of 2013, Syed's petition for post-convention relief was denied, and then October 3rd of 2014, the first episode of Serial, the podcast, was uploaded, and the case drew more attention. If you guys have not listened to Serial's podcast on this case, they do a full, in-depth recap of everything that happened, and it is definitely a great reference for this case, so I would suggest going to listen to that if you want more detail and more information than what I'm giving you. Um, I'm just going to give you the basis and they literally go into a full season of detail in this case. There's also an HBO documentary that you can watch that goes into full detail as well. In June of 2016, Syed had been pursuing a new trial, and with the new media attention due to the podcast serial, Baltimore City Circuit Judge Martin Welch decided to vacate Syed's conviction and give him a new trial. Welch made that decision based on the argument that his original attorney behaved incompetently and that she never even looked into McLean's story of seeing Syed in the library that day. It was also determined that the cell phone pings were faulty, which was one of the breaking points for originally convicting Syed. However, in March of 2019, the Maryland Court of Appeals rejected the new trial. The vote stated that even though they agree the attorney should look into the letter more, the other evidence would have convicted Syed regardless. In March of 2019 is when the HBO documentary The Case Against Adnan Syed released, and filmmakers disclosed that additional DNA testing finished in 2019. There were samples taken from Lee's body and car, and they were tested against Syed's DNA, but the DNA did not find a match. Fingerprints also taken from Lee's rearview mirror were tested and were not a match to Syed either. In August of 2019, Syed's lawyers asked the Supreme Court to look into the case further. On November 25th of 2019, the Supreme Court rejected the bid for a new trial. In March of 2022, prosecutors finally agreed to new testing in the Syed case. This would determine if the DNA collected from Lee's car actually belonged to Syed. Syed's attorney then released the following statement. Syed and prosecutors last week filed a joint motion for post-conviction DNA testing saying that since the crime occurred more than two decades ago, DNA testing has changed and improved drastically. Miss Lee's clothing, shoes, and certain other evidence recovered from the scene had not been subjected to DNA testing. Syed seeks to use the most advanced DNA testing methodologies that there are currently available to analyze the biological evidence collected from the scene in an effort to exploit him. Now that we have discussed the facts of the case, let's discuss why many think the people, many think that the person behind bars, Adnan Syed, is actually innocent. 
The case against Adnan Syed was largely based on the story of Jay Wilds. Jay's testimony was filled with many inconsistencies and false information. Jay also changed his story to the police numerous times. First, Jay stated that Syed showed him Lee's body in the trunk of her car at the strip off Edmondson Avenue. Then, he proceeded to change his story and said that Syed showed him Lee's body at a Best Buy parking lot after Syed called him from a payphone in the parking lot. It was later confirmed that there was never a payphone in the parking lot of the Best Buy. They even pulled old blueprints and talked to a manager, with both, which both showed that there was no payphone ever on that property. The cell phone tower pings that were also ruled as unreliable because the cover sheet for the pings says that when they were faxed, they had an important warning on them. And it said, outgoing calls only are reliable for location status. Any incoming calls will not be considered reliable information for location. This means the same cell phone pings we are using to prosecute are no longer reliable and inconsistent. Another thing that is considered is McLean's testimony that she saw Adnan in the library and spoke with him that day. McLean testified she saw him at 3.30 p.m. in the library, whereas Jay's testimony states that he saw May's corpse in the trunk around 3.55 p.m. That would give Syed 25 minutes to drive to wherever Hay was, strangle her, put her in the trunk, and drive back to the Best Buy where he met Wilds. After the podcast serial gained attention, prosecutors decided to test Syed's DNA versus the DNA found on Lee's body, which none matched Syed. Another argument in Lee's case is that her current boyfriend, Don, was never even considered a suspect. And you and I both know as true crime lovers that when something happens, the significant other is always looked for as a suspect, always questioned. It's just a precautionary thing that they do. However, this was not the case for Dawn. Dawn and Lee were together the day before she went missing and actually made plans to see each other the day she went missing. At first, Dawn seemed to have a solid alibi. He claimed to be at work at Lenscrafters the day Lee disappeared. And the manager confirmed this. However, they did not have any direct contact with him that day. Two more problems arose with his alibi. Number one, his alibi was his mom. And number two, Don did not have any timesheets relating to the day Lee disappeared. Therefore, that shows that there are cracks in his alibi. Um, how many times have you seen a case where... A loved one, whether it be a parent, a sibling, whatever, lies for their loved one. It's happened numerous times, and the fact that there wasn't time cards to back up him being at work made it even more suspicious that day. After much asking and questioning, time cards were finally produced, and it was confirmed that his mother vouched for his presence and the time cards were inconsistent with other time cards as if they were altered in some way. So it was very noticeable that these time cards did not reflect the same time cards that um, 
other days had. So it was definitely, there was a change somewhere. Another LensCrafters employee recalled the day Don had told them about Lee's disappearance. He noticed that this day Don had hands had scratches all over his hands and bandages all up to his wrist. Don claimed that the injuries came from car work, but unfortunately this employee's story can never be verified. As you can see, there are so many inconsistencies surrounding this case, and I'm hopeful that once the DNA testing is provided, we can have more solid answers. Um, in my opinion, I think there's enough evidence to grant Syed a retrial and overturn his conviction. Um, there's just so many things that he was convicted on that are no longer reliable. Um, number one is Jay's testimony. Number two is the phone records. Um, and number three is DNA evidence. For me, DNA evidence is the biggest nail in the coffin in a true crime case. And the fact that none of the DNA evidence has matched Syed's to this date really is a red flag for me. If he was in the car, if he had anything to do with May, if he had anything to do with her killing, his DNA should be somewhere. Um, I mean, I know when you strangle somebody, you can wear gloves and all that, but your DNA falls out every single day. So it should be somewhere, and the fact that all the DNA evidence that they have does not match Syed is the biggest red flag for me in this case. Another thing that I question is McLean's story. If she saw him in the library at 3.30 p.m. that day, then that fits in with Syed's original story that he was at school when Lee disappeared. Um, and there's no way, in my opinion, that he can go pick up Lee, strangle her, put her body in the trunk, and go meet a friend in 25 minutes. I, I just don't buy it. I don't think that that's accurate. Um, and I just don't think that there's a strong enough case for me to say that Syed is the killer. However, that is strictly my opinion. You guys are free to have your own opinions on this case. Um, all that we, we really want in the end is to know that the right person is behind bars and that the family can, you know, know that the person that took their 18-year-old daughter away is in jail and is rightfully in jail. Um, I think that Don should have been questioned a little more. Um, the scratches and the band-aids for me is a dead ringer because if May Lee tried to fight back, she would have went straight for the hands if he was strangling her. So for me, there's just too many inconsistencies with this case for me to say that I absolutely agree that he should have been convicted because I don't. Um, I am fully on the fence that there's just too many questions that have not been answered and a retrial is warranted. So hopefully with the DNA evidence that was um, petitioned for and the results from that, we can get a retrial and figure out a solution to this case. I will definitely make sure to keep you guys updated as we continue to get updates in this case, um, and I will definitely keep you guys informed about anything that is going on. Until then, I will see you guys next week. Please also remember to follow us on Crime Confidential 
on Twitter and Instagram, and check out our Patreon account as well.